Now, we're currently in a series called Cross-Reference, okay? And what we're doing in this series is we are referencing the last words that Jesus said as he hung on the cross. Those final moments as we journey towards the cross, let's take a moment and focus on the cross, okay? What were the things that Jesus said? You know, famous last words are, are pretty important. What were the last things that Jesus said? And what did it mean to the people that gathered around the cross? And then as we study them and as we dive into God's word, what does it mean for us today? And each statement that we're looking at is going to have a profound impact on your life. Had a profound impact for the people that heard them then. It has still has a profound impact on us today. Last week, we started off with those first few words, Father, forgive them. Words of forgiveness that were given not only to the guards that were in the middle of beating him and killing him. But words of forgiveness that were given for you and for me, because make no mistake about it, it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. That's why he was there. And today what I want to do, and if you missed that message, you can go back, you can check it out. It's on the app and it's online as well. But today what I want to do is I want to focus on salvation. Okay, In particular, for our story, I want to talk about being saved. In the last minute. And you know what? As I was preparing for this message, I, I did a little research. And if you, if you don't have to look very far to find these stories, these amazing stories of what people have done to save their life in the last minutes. Let, let me share a few of these with you, okay? The first story deals with a hiking trip. And it, it says this. I'm just going to read the article. It says, in August 2014, Amy was enjoying a hike through one of her favorite parks near her home in Colorado. When she heard a twig snap behind her, She said, I turned, and there it was, a mountain lion standing 10 feet away from me. Amy knew not to run or make any sudden movements. Calmly, she started to back away, but the lion uh, lion crept forward. And for 20 minutes, no matter what move Amy made, the lion only advanced, once pouncing within a few feet of her. And with adrenaline taking over, Amy decided to try something radical. And at the top of her lungs, she sang opera. And the lion backed off. She said it put its ears down and just sort of backed away. The idea of a lion putting its ears down makes me think Amy wasn't that good. (laughs) But hey, it worked, right? Saved in the last second. Second story, this this is a great one. Involves being stranded in freezing temperatures. It says this, shivering on a distant bank in Wollaston in Upper Canada, a lone outdoorsman hunkered under an overturned boat. Bad weather had trapped him between the ice and stranded him. Now, after several days without food or shelter, the man was running out of ideas. Waiting for the ice to melt was not an option. Neither was wandering blindly through bear-infested woods. And he had no phone. He had no fire. All he had was his boat and an axe. So the man found the nearest electrical pole and chopped it down. And within 24 hours, the local utility company chartered a helicopter crew to investigate the power outage. And the team members found the would-be lumberjack waiting by the fallen pole, looking very happy to see them. Quick thinking in the last minute and probably received a hefty bill from the power company, right? But totally worth it. All right, one more example. I love this. This one's the best one. Calling 911 to order a pizza might seem... Very daring or a last-minute opportunity to save yourself, but it may have well saved this woman's life. And here's the call, and I got it up here. The caller says, I'd like to order a pizza for delivery. Ma'am, you've reached 911. 
Yes, I know. Can I have a large with half pepperoni, half mushrooms, and peppers? But I'm sorry, do you know you've called 911, right? Well, yeah. So do you know how long it'll be? Okay, ma'am, is everything okay over there? Do you have an emergency? Yes, I do. And you can't talk about it because there's someone in the room with you? Yes, that's correct. Do you know how long it will be? The dispatcher says, I have an officer about a mile from your location. Can you stay on the phone with me? Nope. See you soon. Thanks. <laughs> That's amazing. And an officer was immediately dispatched. Y'all may have seen this. They actually used this um, in a commercial that ran during football games like a, a years ago. Amazing stories of what people have done in the last minutes to save themselves. Now, today, what do I want to do? is I want to look at a biblical example of one of the most famous last-minute salvations ever. Quick thinking that saved someone's life for eternity. Okay, so the decision that the thief made on the cross next to Jesus. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, you may not be aware of this, or maybe you are, but Jesus was crucified between, between two criminals. That's why on most pictures, you always see three crosses on the hill, Right? The middle one represents the cross of Christ because the Bible says that he was crucified in between two others, one on his right and one on his left. And the reason we know this is because the Gospels teach us this. And in Luke 23, we read this story. So let's go to Luke 23 now and let's read it together. It says this, One of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Well, prove it by saving yourself. And us too, while you're at it. But the other criminal, he protested. Don't you fear God, even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's talk about this story for a minute. These words spoken on the cross. Two different guys with two very different responses to Jesus, okay? The first guy insults Jesus, okay? The Greek word is actually blasphemo, which is where we get the word blaspheme from. And basically, it just means to demean or to put down. And he's putting down Jesus on the cross. But the second guy, he's no theologian. He doesn't know a lot. And what we do know about him isn't good because he's on a cross, okay? That, that, that's not a good thing at all. That's the worst thing possible. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But he doesn't know much, but he does know one thing. He knows enough to be saved. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about these words of salvation. Probably the most important topic that we could discuss. And I'm excited about this because here's what I want to do today. I want to clear up some confusion. Okay, and here's what I mean by that. I want you to know... Today, let's talk about this so that you can know that you're going to heaven. Okay? There's no reason why today, when you leave here this morning, that you can't have the assurance that Jesus loves you and he has saved you for eternity. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about salvation. This is going to help us. It's going to help us explain it to others. There's a whole lot going on in this. So lessons from the cross. Here's point number one, okay? When we look at this conversation, we know these things. Number one, we're going to face God. We will face God. 
Okay, look at this exchange between the two criminals for just a minute. The one who's ugly to Jesus said a few bad things. And then the other criminal basically stops him and says, whoa, 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 don't you fear God? Like, in other words, what's wrong with you, man? Like, what are you doing? You're hanging on a cross. Like, you're about to die. You're about to meet your maker. And you're sitting here in your last moments and you're being disrespectful. Like, that makes no sense. I really don't think that it's wise to be taunting Jesus in these moments. But you see, I think this criminal, I think he does what so many people do. And this is the reason that so many people just wander through life doing whatever they want to or ignoring God, living out their plan instead of God's plan, getting deeper and deeper into sin, is because people actually believe that this life is all there is, right? There's nothing else. I mean, at most, what we're gonna do, what we're gonna live 80 to 100 years, like if we're lucky, right? And, and, then, and then what? What happens on the other side? And you know what? I, I'm in my 40s, like I'm I'm seriously hitting that midlife crisis right now. Like I've got this bucket list of everything that I want to do before I get too old to do them. And I remember like when I had just turned 40, my family took a trip to Las Vegas. Yes, your preacher was in Las Vegas, insert joke here, okay? (laughs) We went to Las Vegas and we went to the top of this building called the Stratosphere, which is basically a skyscraper with a few rides on the roof. And I was determined when we went to ride this thing called the X-Scream. Have you ever seen this before? I brought a video of it. 900 feet in the air, suspended 30 feet away from the building. How many of you would ride it? Let me see. Raise your hands. Okay, very few of you. How many of you just threw up in your mouth just thinking about it? Yes. Oh, so... When we got up there, there's a little platform that goes out, and there was nobody else on the ride. And so I was the only one, and so I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to sit on the front row. So I went, and I sat on the front row, and then I looked out, and I go, nope, nope, not going to do that. And I went back, and I sat on the back row. Nobody else in there, which doesn't make, and every, all the, you know, there's basically, there's 16-year-olds operating this thing up there, and they're like, come on, man, you can do it, you can sit on the front row, and I was like, you know what, you're right, this is the once in life, I'm going to do it, I'm going to sit on the front row, and I went back, and I sat on the front row, and I said, nope, not going to do that, not going to do that, and I went back, and I rode that thing on the back row by myself with my eyes closed the entire time. Why did I do it? It's because I had this feeling like I had to, right? Like, life is short. I'm not going to be here forever. And I know that one day I'm going to die. And that day may come sooner if I keep riding things on top of buildings, right? (laughs) But I do realize that there's more to this life. Like, when I die, I know I'm going to come face to face with God. We all are. And I'm going to have to give an account of my life. Not whether I survived some silly ride or not, but whether I really had faith. The faith to believe that Jesus is the one that has taken away my sins. Hebrews 9.27 says, We die only once and then we are judged. This is one appointment we all have in life. And the reason this is important is because if we know it's coming, right, then it's foolish to go through life unprepared for it. 
It's one of the things in life that we're certain of. And this criminal, he knew it. And he's getting on to the other guy. He's like, don't you know this is coming? The second thing we learn from this conversation is that we are all guilty. Okay? This is profound coming from this criminal. But the criminal understood this. In verse 41, he says this, We deserve to die for our crimes. Okay, he's basically confessing to what he's done. And the beauty of this verse and what happens in this situation is that if we confess, God will forgive. Even on the cross, even in the last minutes, Jesus forgives this guy. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful thing. And you know what? Again, going back to what I said earlier, we're not sure what these guys did to be on the cross. Okay, the, the Bible doesn't speak to the nature of their sin, so we can only speculate on what happens. But how many times did this guy sin to be put on the cross? Or what was the big sin that he did that placed him on the cross? Because this was public execution. This was reserved for the worst of the worst. His sin put him there. Do you know Scripture says that any sin in our life any sin in our life, it separates us from God. In fact, James 2.10 actually says that if you obey every law, but you miss one, you just break one, then you're guilty. Like it only takes one time of lying to be a liar. It only takes one time of sinning to be a sinner, right? Then the problem with this is that God can't allow sin in eternity, right? Sin can't be in the presence of holiness. Sin can't be in heaven. Otherwise, heaven would be just like earth, and that's not heaven. That's not what we want, right? So God figured out a a, a way to make us perfect so that we could live in a perfect place. But Scripture says that the wages of our sin, any sin, all sin, is death. That's what we deserve. And that criminal, he confesses it. This is, what, this is what we deserve. But fortunately for Jesus, he says, you know what? I'll do it for you. I'll take the payment. I'll take the punishment. I'll pay the fine. I will die in your place. We don't deserve it. And yet this is what Jesus did. It's a gift. It's unearned. So the first thing we learn in this is that we're going to face God one day. This criminal knew that. Number two, we know that we have sinned. This guy knew he had sinned. We're all sinners. Number three, the third thing we learn is that Jesus is more than just a man. And the reason I say this is because he says, the, the one criminal says to the other, he says, this man, talking about Jesus, this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And notice how he puts it. He doesn't say, you know what, Jesus hasn't done nearly as much stuff as we have right? Or, or Jesus, you should have seen him serving these people. Like, he's a decent guy. He, he doesn't say, you know what, Jesus's good things have definitely outweighed if he has any bad things in his life. That's not what he says. He says, Jesus, this guy, Jesus, I've heard about him. I know what he's all about. And he has done nothing, no thing wrong in his life. The Greek word that's actually used here means zero. This Jesus is perfect. And we're not. So here's a question. Um, have you ever met somebody that you just thought seemed perfect? 
right? Nothing wrong with them. You know what, even, even when people seem to be perfect, we're often shocked to find out when they make a mistake or they're not perfect at all. There was actually a runner that competed in a half marathon a, a little while back, and honestly, she just seemed kind of perfect. She was, you know, fit and in shape, and she blogged about all eating the right foods, and she ran all these races, and she's smiling, and every one of her pictures just seemed like the, the, the perfect example of a runner. And in one race, she received second place. And when she accepted the medallion and she posted the picture online, people could zoom into her GPS watch and find out that it actually read a mile and a half shorter than the distance of the race. And then people started posting. And she later confessed that she had cheated. And it just kind of blew up from there. As great as people seem to be, and we have all these images online, of how people want to put their perfect lives out there. Nobody is perfect. No one. Not even your preacher. Especially your preacher. (laughs) We might not know what it's like to cheat in a race, but make no mistake about it, we're broken people. But this criminal, he's like, this Jesus is different. He is perfect. You see, there's only one person that's ever been perfect. And that's why it's only Jesus can save you. Because you need a perfect Savior to get you into a perfect place with Him. So here's how that happens. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God took the sinless, okay, perfection, perfect Christ, and poured into Him our sins. Then, in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. So so picture this. This is the great exchange that's happening here, okay? God says, I'm going to take all the junk in our life, all our pettiness, our egos, our anger, our gossip, our thoughts, and I'm going to put them into my son or on my son Jesus, and he's going to die so that you don't have to. And at the same time, I'm going to take what's good and righteous and grace-filled about my son, and I'm going to pour it into you. It's a great exchange. And it's in this way, through the grace of God, that we're able to be in perfection, perfected in eternity with God. There's no better deal. And the reason that this is possible is because we understand Jesus is no ordinary man. He is the perfect son of God who has come for you and me. The fourth thing, that leads me to the fourth thing that we understand from this story is that we're saved by God's grace. In verse 42, this guy simply says the words, Jesus, remember me. That's all he says. Jesus, remember me. He knows that Jesus is the only way that he can be saved, okay? He he, he can't come down off the cross. At this point, the criminal can't do any charity work to get him into a better spot. He can't plead his case any longer. There is nobody, as far as we know, hanging around the foot of the cross looking to help him. He is all on his own. There's nothing else that can be done. So he looks at Jesus and he says, simply, it's all he says, remember me. It's got to be like the shortest salvation prayer ever given. And with a few short words, without knowing much else, God's grace covered this man. God's grace covered him. 
So this past month has been a little busy for me because I've been on a board reviewing theology and doctrine paperwork for ministers who are coming before the board to be ordained in the South Georgia Conference. Um, And each candidate is asked to answer specific questions dealing with theology, doctrine, polity. It usually takes about 70 pages to be able to answer these things fully. And here's an example. I brought a couple examples of the questions that we ask them. And we say this, number one, here's, here's one question. Demonstrate your understanding by applying the quadrilateral to a doctrine of practice of our church, infant baptism, trinity, sanctification. Uh, here's another one. How, how do you understand the traditional evangelical doctrines of repentance, justification, regeneration, and sanctification? So, a lot of insider language here is used, and I just want to show you this, quadrilateral, sanctification, regeneration, and we expect our ordained elders, of course, to be able to know the language, and not just know it, but be able to communicate it effectively um, to their parishioners, to the church. This is expected for ordained elders within the United Methodist Church, but it's not expected of anyone seeking salvation. And the reason I share that with you is because so many people and so many times I, I come across people that have this unnecessary expectation of having to know it all before they understand what salvation is or having to know it all before they can share anything about salvation, right? That I, I gotta know the correct terminology before I get saved or, or before I lead others into salvation. And I think, y'all, this is so amazing what's happening here on the cross and I want you to get this. This guy doesn't use any fancy theological words. He probably doesn't know what atonement means or justification or Wesley's understanding of prevenient grace. He can't say all these things. He doesn't even mention the words repent or trust or anything like that. All he says is remember me. That's it. Remember me. And Jesus looks at him in this moment and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise which is heaven, eternity. So here's a point. It's not the word so much that matters, it's the direction of your heart. And he proved his heart was where it needed to be when he simply said those words. I remember hearing this story a while back of someone who gave his life to Jesus and he didn't know anything. He was brand new to the faith. He, he couldn't tell you anything about the Bible. Couldn't tell you anything much about Jesus or God, but he did know that he was saved by grace and he knew that whatever reason, he felt like God was calling him into ministry. And so he took an opportunity at his church and that pastor asked him if he wanted to read some scripture and he said, yes, I don't understand it, but I will read it and I will stand up and I'll do as much as I can. And so he stood up in front of the church on his first Sunday and he asked everybody, he said, please turn with me to the book of Job. Everybody kind of looked around, and the pastor, you know, got up from his throne. You know the thrones on the stage, the pastor's <laughs> tea like that. Um, preacher got up from his throne, walked over to him, and said, it's Job, not Job. <laughs> he said, oh, my bad. He didn't know it all, but he knew enough. He knew enough to be saved. And again, the reason this is crucial for us to get is that I hear people talk about this all the time, about being a Christian or leading others to Christ. Your commitment to Christ is just simply pointing your heart in his direction. And in that moment, God brings his grace and covers you. 
And it's enough to save you. And the promise is that as we begin that relationship with God, and the more we dive into that relationship with God, the closer we get to Him, the more we understand. The more He'll begin to reveal Himself to us. And grow us. This guy, he didn't understand everything, but he did understand that grace Grace was enough. The fifth thing, the last thing before we move from this, is all we need to do is ask. This is all he had to do was just ask Jesus. And this is what he prayed. Jesus, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. Obviously, he believes in Jesus. He believes in that kingdom, and he's asking him. And it's interesting that he doesn't ask Jesus for anything else. He's not asking Jesus to save himself. At any moment, Jesus could have called this thing off. He could have called all the heavenly angels to come down and wipe out the Romans and just come down off that cross, but he never does because he knew what needed to happen. But he could have. And this guy, he doesn't ask for Jesus to come down off the cross. He's heard of the healings. I'm sure he's heard just like everybody that Jesus raised this guy Lazarus. Lazarus came walking right out of the tomb. If he can do that, He can bring me off this cross. But he doesn't ask him that. And I think the reason that he doesn't ask him that is because he knows that he has something greater that needs attention. And that's the sin. He's got a sin problem that's put him on that cross. And the only person that can help him with that is Jesus. Acts 16 says this. It says, have faith in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So, this conversation of this last-minute salvation on the cross, we understand that we can be saved, but, but here's what I want to do next, very quickly. I know I'm running out of time. How can we have the assurance of our salvation? How can I know that I'm saved? So let's go back to that question earlier. How can we be sure of it? Because sometimes, you know what, honestly, I let my feelings kind of get in the way. Sometimes, if I'm honest... And if we're all honest with each other, we'd have those moments of doubt, right? Sometimes I wonder, am I really, am I really saved? Here's what I want to do. I want to break down these words that Jesus says to this man on the cross. And I think what we'll find is the assurance that we're looking for. Not only is this going to help you if you've got any questions, but it'll help you in communicating to someone else that might have questions about salvation. So here's the phrase Jesus says. He says, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let me give you a few key words. Number one is assurance. How can I know? And what can I know about my salvation? I can have assurance. Jesus says, I assure you. Which means he wants you to be clear about this. You know, there's something about knowing that Jesus has saved you that frees you up. And that unburdens your life. To serve him more. You know, when John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, when he found Christ, he wrote these words. He says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, and Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me. This assurance came over him. He says, I knew in that moment that he had taken away my sins, even mine. And he had saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley immediately knew 
And he was assured of that salvation and carried it with him throughout his ministry. Jesus wants you to know that you're saved by grace. Number two thing that we learn from these words is immediate, immediate. He says, today, I assure you today. This means that at the moment you ask for salvation, he saves you right then. He doesn't wait. He doesn't put you through a trial. He doesn't put things on hold. You don't have to go into purgatory or anything like that, which by the way, I mean, where does purgatory even come from? For those of you that don't know, this is like a a holding pattern between death and, and heaven. I mean, think about this. If anybody deserved to have their eternity put on hold for any amount of time or a place of purgatory, it was this man for what he had done that put him on the cross. Right, But Jesus doesn't say, well, you've got 60 days until, or if you're lucky, you might. No, no, no. He says today. Today. Salvation is immediate. When you ask Christ into your life, that grace covers you immediately. You have enough of Christ's righteousness and his grace to save you with God. The third thing we know is that you can be certain. He says, today you will. I assure you, today you will. Not you might, not let's hope, not fingers crossed, I'm really rooting for you here, guy. No, he says, you will. When I put my faith in Christ, I am certain of God's promise to save me right now. Number four is a relationship. He says, you will be with me. Today you will be with me. Salvation isn't just a bunch of rules and regulations, right? That's what people, that's what generally, those of y'all that are in the small group that's working through the follow series, that's generally what we come, when we think of, when we think of religion, is this is what I have to do. No, 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 no. Salvation in Christ is a relationship. And it's a relationship that begins right now. Right, eternity when it comes to salvation, begins today. Death no longer has a hold on us. Basically what death is, is just a transition. And we continue living with our Savior. That's incredible. In fact, I would venture to say that the whole reason that God made you is because of those two words, I want you to be with me. We were made to be in a relationship with God. Not just a relationship while we're here on this earth, but a relationship for eternity. And then the fifth thing we understand is that it's forever. Today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is a real place and it's forever. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, like I said before, it begins right now. And we simply transition. John three sixteen again, going back to that foundational verse, says that whosoever believes in him will not perish. We won't die. Sure, we'll die. And we'll get rid of these earthly bodies that hold us down, but we will create new bodies. And we will be with God forever in eternity with Him. So where do we go from here? Like, what do we do with this message today? I would say that I could probably put everybody into three categories. One, the first category is that you know you're saved. And you're certain of it. And if that describes you, then maybe this message today kind of helps you understand why that assurance is there. It helps you kind of firm things up on the subject matter so that you're better able to explain it to someone else. You know, First Peter, the, the guy Peter that became the rock of the church, he told us as followers of Christ that we should be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. 
And so maybe for those of you today that you're certain of your salvation, this kind of helps you firm things up so that you're able and more prepared to give that reason to other people when they ask. And they will ask. Second group of people is that maybe you have your doubts about your salvation. And listen, I don't want you to walk out of here today and beating yourself up over this. I truly believe that Jesus wants you confident in your salvation so that you're not weighed down with any unnecessary guilt, so that you're able to trust him completely with your, for, with your future and you're able to move forward in the assurance of his grace. There's no reason to doubt. There's every reason to have the assurance of salvation. And the third, the third group of people are those that have never asked for salvation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that there's no better time than the present to be saved. Now, there were two criminals on the cross, one on the right, one on the left, and Jesus allowed them to choose. One rejected him, the other accepted him. And now that you've heard the message today, you're in the same boat. And you know what? Not making a decision is actually making a decision. But for those that choose to call on Christ, Romans 10, 13 says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be saved. Not I hope you will be saved. But you will be saved. And if that's you, if you're watching online, you're in here this morning, and you've never done that, let's settle that right here and right now. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you for the saving grace that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we understand that one day we will come face to face with you. And we understand that the sin that we've committed is the problem because sin cannot be in the presence of holiness. But God, we also understand that putting our faith in your son, Jesus, actually means that our sins are taken away. That Jesus fills us with his righteousness. God, it is the great exchange, and it's something to celebrate, God, and we are so thankful for it. So God, I pray for those this morning that are here today, that are watching online today, that they would rest comfortably in your assurance, in the assurance of their salvation, knowing that we're saved by your grace. God, because when we understand that you have saved us by, our, by your grace, God, it frees us up to trust you completely. And it frees us up to serve you more. It frees us up to, to live into your promises. So God, help us not to doubt. And God, I pray for those that have heard this message today and understand that a decision needs to be made. God, may they just feel your love for them. And may they experience the freedom that comes from having their guilt completely removed. And if that's you this morning... You're here, you're online, and you need to make this decision today. Pray this with me and just say, Jesus, I don't understand everything. I don't really know all the right words. But I do understand that you are God's son. And that you can forgive me. And that you can give me the grace I need to be in eternity with God. So God, remember me. Forgive me. Come into my life. And as much as I know how, help me live for you. God, understanding your salvation, 
and understanding that your salvation was given to this man hanging on the cross next to you in his last minutes shows us the depth of your love and the overwhelming power of your grace. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for your words of salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen.